Hello and welcome to another episode of another football podcast, episode 7, Monterrey, the second Regio team, which was not voted the first uh, when we did the poll, but of course we had promised we were going to do the Regio team, so here is episode 7. Tom, are you ready for the other clash of the big titan? Yeah, let's get straight into it. Monterrey just became campeón in Apertura 2019. Um, very unexpectedly, because as we remember, they had a really rocky regular season. Uh, Diego Alonso was still um, coach at that time. Um, he got sacked after a Clásico uh, versus Tigres. Tom, talk to me a little bit about the era Diego Alonso. We know that Mohamed was in charge of Monterrey for a long time. Diego Alonso came. It seemed like nothing big happened in his arrival it seemed more of the kind of the same Mohammed style it was very kind of meshed together um obviously before you know he got sacked talk to me about what you saw under Diego Alonso with this Monterrey was Monterrey a big team for him to handle or make something extraordinary out of it yeah so first of all obviously we have to consider Mohammed obviously we're going to talk about him a lot more later in more detail but it's important to know just the basics to start that Mohamed at Monterrey, despite them being a huge team with a huge budget, big new stadium, they always played a style of football where they weren't too bothered about having the ball, they weren't too bothered about dominating the play, but they were very happy to hit on the counter-attack, defend, keep things tight and solid at the back. and. Yeah, rely on a few players on the counter-attack to cause problems. And uh, there was perhaps a feeling that that wasn't enough for Monterey, that that wasn't how this team with all these great players, the money that they've spent should have been playing. And Alonso was someone who at Pachuca was a manager who played with more possession, with a bit more of a high pressing game, a bit more dominant. And so... I thought that perhaps the idea was trying to get someone with a style of play that you'd expect more from one of the richest teams in any league in the world, really. And Alonso took it slow to start. I mean, yeah, what surprised um, us, I remember us talking about this a few years ago now, was that Alonso at the start was playing pretty much Mohamed football was playing very uh, counter-attacking football. And I think he slowly tried to change it. And we definitely saw a change in the Apertura where they were playing a little bit slower. They were trying to have a bit more possession. And they struggled, to be honest. Um, they really did. You know, they struggled to break down the deep organized defenses that they were coming up against with their slower pace of attack. And massively they struggled defensively um they actually when he left they had the second worst expected goals against number in the league um that's non-penalty so taking away the penalties against in open play and you know set pieces apart from penalties they had the second worst expected goals against so the second worst defense in the league only veracruz were worse than them which is quite extraordinary to be honest and um a theory I have for this perhaps is that Alonso trying to play with a bit more possession, a bit more higher press, a bit more dominant, you know, keeping the ball in the other team's half, had to push the defensive line higher 
And for years, the Monterey defenders were used to staying deeper. And perhaps they weren't comfortable defending in this manner, leaving more space in behind them. And yeah, they had big defensive problems. And obviously, after the classical defeat, um, it wasn't a huge surprise that he was sacked, was it? No, definitely. I guess going back to what you were saying regarding, you know, Mohamed, kind of the style of play that he left before Diego Alonso. Do you think that, I guess, obviously we know that Mohamed's back, but, you know, in some time he's going to probably have to leave. Do you think every coach that comes through is going to have to adapt to that style of play because of the type of players that they have, that they're really deadly on a counterattack? You have Funes Mori, you have Pavon, you have, you know, all these players that on the counterattack can do a lot of damage to you. So in my question to you is, do you think that this is just the style of play or can it be changed or altered by a different coach coming in? Well, I think it's difficult. I think it's difficult to change, um, particularly when you've got very experienced players, old, as you mentioned, guys like Funes Mori, Pabon, massively, we know he is so dangerous on the counter-attack. You could put Gallardo in there as someone who's developed into a really dangerous uh, counter-attacking winger on the left side, you know, has brings great balance with Pabon on the right and Gallardo on the left. And it is difficult to get these players to change their game. And you could argue, in fact, that it would be wrong. You know, one thing that can be argued about good coaching is don't remove any of the strengths of a player. You know, if a player has a certain thing they're really good at, get it out, you know, squeeze every last drop out of that thing they're really good at. And, you know, if Dorlan, if, for example, you've got Funes Mori, who's great at holding up the ball and playing off to Dorlan Pabon, who is, you know, rapid and very dangerous 1v1 and with, you know, space to attack into, then exploit it, right? You know, so with the players they have, yes, they are set up for that style of play the same goes for defensively you know if you've got Cesar Montes and of course um, Nico Sanchez who are you know very strong in the air great at dealing with balls into the box well get them to defend in the box right rather than trying to push them up where they're not you know they're not the fastest defenders around so it is possible for Mon you know coming back to the question it is possible for Monterey to change a style of play but not overnight and not in an apertura or a clausura. It will take, if they want to, it will take squad renewal. It will take moving certain players on, bringing different types of players in and time on the training ground and time on the pitch. And, um, you know, the difficulty with this, of course, as we know in Liga Mekis, coaches, teams generally don't get a lot of time. There isn't a lot of patience. Definitely. I think we can say there's few teams that are pretty consistent with coaching. Like they would not just fire midseason. We talked about like a Toluca, you know, obviously Montigres is another option. Um, but definitely I think Liga Mekis has that us accustomed to those types of situations on and on. Now coming back, Diego Alonso, as I mentioned, sacked after a defeat Clasico 2-0. Mohamed, no surprise that Mohamed came back. Uh, for the last five games of the season, which he won three of them and drew two of them. Uh, Monterrey ended in eighth 
place with 27 points, which we mentioned in another podcast that they got so lucky that they even made it uh, to La Liguilla, which I think if we look back regarding that Pumas game, history would have been totally different. Who, who knows? But El Uvira nunca existe, like I've mentioned before. And Tom and Liguilla, we see a very dominant Monterrey over Santos. Then we mentioned the, the game against Necaxa, which I probably sound like a broken record, but that game... Monterrey should not have <laughs> should not have passed to the final, but um, then we have obviously the final contra América, another chaotic ida y vuelta. At the end, Monterrey becomes campeón. So before my following question, talk to me about Monterrey en la liguilla. ¿Cómo cambió from regular season to la liguilla? So obviously we had the return of Mohamed and it was very much back to what they knew, back to how they used to play. We saw a very direct Monterrey, um, especially in some of the Ligia games. The first leg against Santos, against the high press of Almada, they were super direct, um, just, you know, pinging long balls and cause a huge amount of danger with it. Um, we even saw this switch, which helped them sort of be even more direct, was this switch to Pabon playing up front alongside Funes Mori in a 4-4-2. So instead of Pabon having to drop back a bit, being a winger on the right side, it was just leave those two guys up there, let them play off each other and cause problems. And, you know, it worked really well. And you can look at, obviously, there was luck in there. The fact that Nakaxa hit the post late. You know, in stoppage time, it, that goal would have sent Nakaxa through to the final. You can look at the final against America, which you know, we've been through on the America podcast. Decisions, dodgy decisions against both teams, and, and eventually won on penalties. But they did get some great results in this time when Mohamed took over, and their underlying numbers, their expected goals numbers, improved dramatically. And it seemed like a team that going back to what they knew just looked really comfortable and seemed so much more effective and happier in what they were being asked to do. So yeah, overall they did look better. You know, I'd say not just in Ligia, but these last few games, obviously that thrashing of Cholos of uh, in Tijuana was a very impressive result as well. So in general, once Mohamed came back, um, they they did look a lot better, absolutely. Now for my following question, and I think I'm going to go back to something you taught me in a way. You kind of made me realize and kind of think more in deep. And I'm going back to that Nikaxa game where football, the aspect of luck impacts the game so much. Just thinking about how they made it in eighth place, how they you know you know survived the last two games, Nikaxa and 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 America. Do you think Monterrey deserved to be campeón? And do you think luck had a factor in Monterrey's campeón? Well, I think that luck always has a factor. I think this is the big thing that's come out of the development of um, advanced statistics in football, and particularly with expected goals, is that luck is just huge in football. There's so few goals in football. So the tiniest moments out of, a 90-minute game, a 180 game, or even a whole entire season can just change everything, whether that be someone's hitting a 
Golasso from 30 yards or a goalkeeper error or a goalkeeper having an insane game or a referee decision. Like so many things can decide who wins titles. So I've kind of got to a point now where I don't even, it's kind of hard for me to even think about desert, the term deserving to be champions mm-hmm. because particularly in Liga Mekis where we have a Ligia system, you know, knockout football, every team who ever wins a knockout tournament has had luck. I, I'm, I'm almost certain of that. Because there's in you know you're boiling it down to to one-off games, and there's so many things out of your control. Just you know think about it how the opposition plays. Like that's that stuff is completely out of your control. And even if you dominate a game, the opponent will always have a few shots. Pretty much always, especially in Liga Mekis. Would you know we're talking about Ligia. We're going to have some pretty good teams now in Ligia especially towards the end and so they're normally going to be tight games there's always going to be chances for both teams who knows if they're going to take them or not who knows how well your goalkeeper's going to play who knows if your striker's going to finish the chances or if they're going to crumble under pressure if you're going to get a penalty late on and it's going to be skied over the bar like what happened with the Monterey previous uh, final against Tigres so you know I think luck always comes into it and you can look and say that Monterey were a team who had some more luck than some past champions. But the question of deserving to be champions is a difficult one to answer just because I don't know who else did. And also, whilst they weren't the best team over the whole course of the season, at the end of the season, the last few games in Ligia, I can't say there was anyone who played better overall. But yeah, still, even in that time, they had some bad games. They had the away game at Necaxa when Necaxa dominated and almost went through themselves. And what's crazy about football, I know I'm going on a bit here, but what is crazy about football is how much the whole narrative of how good a coach is or players are or a team's history is in the whole of the football conversation in the media, on Twitter, with fans, everything can just be boiled down to like did that ball hit the post and go out or did that ball hit the post and go in yeah it's absolutely mad so it's it's a crazy sport to be involved in in a way and it is like few other sports because you know there's so few goals if you play american football if you play basketball you play cricket if you play tennis there's so many points there's so many ways to score that normally the best win but football that doesn't always happen. In regards to what happened after, it's worth to mention the departure of Rodolfo Pizarro from Monterrey. Pizarro got subbed off half time with a second leg, which kind of pretty much shocked a lot of people. Obviously, there was by that time rumors that he was leaving uh, Monterrey to go to MLS. I think the whole Pizarro topic regarding his llegada to Monterrey until he left there was always something to criticize. There was always something to talk about Pizarro. Why? Because I think we all targeted Pizarro just leaving straight to Europe and not remaining in Liga Mekis. Obviously, that was not what happened. So in regards to Pizarro's departure, what did you think about Pizarro? Did you think he fit the style? Was Monterrey the team that Pizarro needed to be at in any other Liga Mekis team? Yeah, it's a tough one. Obviously, like you say, a lot of fans were hoping he'd go to Europe after his time at Chivas. 
And obviously, Chivas being such a huge club, any player who's done very well for Chivas and leaving to another league, a Mekis club, is always going to be quite controversial. There's always going to be some criticism of that, you know, and that's just how it is. That's the place that Chivas hold in football in this this country. So I think it was tricky for him in that regard. I think actually people are a little bit harsh on him. I think he did somewhat better than expected. Like you say, it was a different style when Mohamed came back. I think the disappointment in a way was that him being back with Alonso, people were kind of expecting, you know, this guy's going to be player of the season. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't. Then when Mohamed came back, it was obviously the more direct style, which he hasn't really played him. He'd always played with coaches who like to have a bit more of the ball, like Alonso, like uh, Almeida, and got a lot of his defensive work rate as well, which actually that was a big disappointment at Monterey. His defensive numbers really dropped. I think we saw Pizarro not working quite as hard without the ball, but I think he had some use in their system I think he was very good at providing a different option on the counter so rather than going straight to Funes Mori and then playing off him they could find Pizarro sort of between the lines he could turn and then start to run at defenders look to slip a through ball to uh, you know either Gallardo or Pabon on, on the wings and could then get into the box himself but he's never pushed on from someone who has some incredible moments and does some amazing things and looks very impressive sometimes but he he's never kicked on to you know in terms of goals assists expected goals expected assists being right up there at the top of the league and that's been a bit of a disappointment i think for a lot of people the other thing about him is i've said this ever since he came through he still loses the ball a lot which actually kind of is okay in the in the counter attacking team because you want those players that take risks. Uh, you could argue that it's useful in a possession based team too to have a guy who's taking the risks. But for someone who perhaps thinking about Europe, you know, I think a lot of teams would look at him and say, "Yeah, he's he's maybe losing the ball a bit too often," and without huge production in the final third, you know, is it worth it? Eventually at Monterey, I think a lot of people felt that he wasn't the right fit. We, Like I said, we started to see more of a 4-4-2 with Pabon moving up front as well or Janssen and Funes Mori together, which was obviously the sub in the, in the final. And it wasn't a huge surprise when he moved on, to be honest. And you know, he made sense for a new MLS club looking for a big-ish name. Definitely. Worth talking about. Pizarro... Other arrival, Craneviter, Argentine, definitely coming into Monterrey. And also to mention Akelova's arrival after impressing Querétaro. Now my question regarding Akelova, is he a viable option? Like you said, we can't forget about Funes Mori. We can't forget about Janssen. You have that kind of situation. Do you play Funes Mori? Do you play Janssen? Do you play both of them? Can they play together? Now throwing in the mix Akelova. What is your what What are your thoughts regarding um, Akeloba and is he a viable option to start over these other two? Well, I mean, first of all, it's a big fee, you know, big fee for someone who's impressed for a few months. But that's Liga Mekis, to be honest. If someone does well for a few months or half a season, which is 
I know half a season is a full season in Mexico, but suddenly they can get a huge amount of interest. And um, yeah, I think Loba did make sense for for Monterrey. I think he's potentially a Pabon replacement long term because he's someone who's very, very quick. He's a direct attacker. He can run at defenders very well. Yes, he's more of a striker, but I think Pabon used to be more of a striker rather than the winger as well. Uh, he's someone who can score and create, so I think he's someone who did make sense for them, but what hasn't made sense is that he's barely played and now he's linked with a move out, which, again, is very Liga Mekis, right? Yeah, coming back to the other options, obviously Funes Mori's been around for a long time and has been absolutely fantastic. We know exactly what he's about. He's brilliant in the air, great hold-up play, um, like I've mentioned many times now, can be the man to start counters and bring teammates into play and um, obviously is the main man to get on the end of chances in the box. Janssen is someone who I think is really interesting because he's not quite as good in the air as Funes Mori, but his hold-up play is incredible. Uh, he can run at defenders too and create chances. So it's a tough one, you know, could the two play together? Honestly, I, I don't know um, is my answer right now. I think Loba and Funes Mori makes more sense in terms of a combination. But Janssen and Funes Mori, who knows? Maybe they could play together and I suspect we might see it, if, especially if Loba does end up getting a, a short-term loan move. Definitely. Now in regards to Clausura... Uh, 20 after Monterrey became campeón, something switched on the team. And it could be for different reasons that, you know, I, I've seen. But Monterrey did not win a single game. Like, it was just incredible. It was like night and day. You saw this Monterrey winning La Liga despite of having not that great of a regular season. A team that has all these players worth so much money and, you know, who spent like nothing last place with five points and the clausura 20 again did not win a single game was this surprising to you or was it just expected i mean obviously it's a huge surprise and let's go back into the into the underlying numbers again looking at the expected goal difference monterey is sixth in the league in the clausura so the honest truth is they had a really unlucky spell and it was almost like they traded all their good luck in the apertura for all the bad luck in the clausura which i guess wouldn't be a bad idea if you actually could make that happen in liga mekis but yeah we have to take this with with a huge pinch of salt this performance you know we saw barovero completely out of form um conceding way more than he was expected to and we saw a lot of attackers in poor form too in front of goal. Pretty much all the Monterey attackers scored less than they were expected to. So you combine this together, you chuck in some bizarre games like the America and the Toluca games where somehow they lost. I'm still not sure on them. And you get this outcome, which can happen in a short period of time. But I don't think there's any reason that they need to completely panic. However, it does come back to that question, you know, even you think about it sixth in xg is probably below where monterey should be mm -hmm. with the money they spent yeah. the fact that they were coming off as champions 
comes back to that question about Mohamed. Yes, he gave them that big boost coming back and going back to what was familiar, what the players like and know really well. But is he the guy who's, with his style of play, is he the guy that can create a consistently dominant team in Mexico playing counter-attacking football, playing like you'd expect a smaller team to play with less of the ball and sitting deeper? That is, I think, still a question. It looks like Monterrey was able to kind of erase and shove this horrible season under the mat and kind of just remain celebrating that they were campeón. I mean, that would be interesting, you know, to see if, you know, the league wasn't canceled, how Monterrey would have ended at the end of the season and if there would be any changes. Um, But obviously now, I mean, it's kind of swept under the rug and they're looking into the new season. Just to mention, Barovero's departure kind of was a surprise, but it kind of was rumored that he was leaving. But his replacement, Hugo Gonzalez, coming to Monterrey was definitely a surprise. Also, the extension of Aviles Hurtado, which, you know, he's kind of on and off criticized um, back and forth. So that was definitely interesting. Um, so we'll see if there's any other transfers or any other departures um, that we have yet to see in the upcoming season. Now, as promised for Mexican Spotlight, like we do for every team, today's Mexican Spotlight in Monterrey is Charlie Rodriguez, 23-year-old center midfielder. He basically started his career with Monterrey, loaned out to a team in Spain. He returned to the first team with Monterrey. Pretty much an explosion of talent in the midfield uh, who has been called up with a national team. He's a very bright and creative kid. I think a lot of people underestimate what he's capable of doing. Seeing him in a role in a national team gives you hope that there is talent that can be replaced as these other players are aging out. Tom Carlos Charlie Rodriguez, what are your thoughts over this youngster? Well, first of all, to be honest, he is one of my favorite Mexican players right now. Um, I think he's really fun to watch. It's been, like you say, really promising how he's played with the national team. I think that, you know, sometimes we can be way too harsh on players who step into the national team because... We expect there's so much hype around some players and we expect so many things straight away. And it's like, you know, given time, it's a big thing to put on that national shirt. And also, you know, playing under a new coach, you're being asked to do different things. You don't get much time in the training ground. So it's difficult. But he's someone who had no problem at all. Instantly was very, very impressive and is someone who is now considered to be an important member of the squad. What he does is, well a lot really in the midfield he is more of a creative midfielder but he's really a number eight so someone who um, can you know supports the attack and the defense gets forward and back Um, he's someone who is very talented on the ball he's important in Monterey's attack he's normally the player in Monterey who gets the most touches per game so that shows you how significant he is to their play he's someone who can drop a bit deeper to dictate the play and that's something quite important with Monterey because particularly when he plays with um, Ortiz uh, he's someone who doesn't get much of the ball isn't um, the most talented player on the ball more of a destroyer 
But also we see Charlie pushing into the final third and being creative and even getting into the box uh, as well, you know, providing an extra man making late runs. So he's someone who, yeah, show, just shows a lot of talent. I think he's got great vision, good range of passing, can beat a player 1v1. The other thing he does very well is he's a good presser of the ball. And we see this particularly with Mexico is that often we know Tata Martino is someone who likes to press high and Tata often likes someone to join his striker. You know, we've seen Tata play with a 4-3-3 with Mexico, but he likes at times to have two guys pressing high. And normally that's been Charlie pushing out of the midfield alongside the striker and really initiating the high press. And that's something that's stood out to me about his game as well. So all in all, I, like I said, I really enjoy watching him. I think he is the sort of player that Mexico really need to be looking to create more. I mean, obviously, that's that's a big, bold statement to make and many things about uh, how to do that and why that hasn't happened more. But certainly, I think he's the sort of player that Mexico should aspire to be creating um, more of in the future. Such a great youngster, very talented. I have very high hopes. So I mean, we're going to keep an eye on uh, Charlie over the years and seeing where his career ends up. Obviously, I believe he'll be definitely a staple to La Selección Mexicana, very important player uh, that we'll be definitely talking about for the next couple of years. A couple of hours after we recorded this episode regarding Monterrey, we went on Twitter and saw a rumor, well, various rumors, that Sebastián Vegas was close to being loaned out to Monterrey. Obviously, that's not a club official yet, but um, apparently he is very close to becoming a rayado. So, Tom, in your opinion, do you think Sebastián Vegas is a, is a viable option for Monterrey to have? I think yes, but as a left-back or perhaps as uh, the left-sided defender in a back three. And the reason I say this, the reason I don't think he particularly fits the profile of a centre-back for a Turko Mohamed team is because he's not great in the air. And in a team that defends pretty deep, as I sp- quite often, uh, as I spoke about on this podcast, Monterey a team that will happily deal with balls into the box. They're happy for teams to get, say, to the edge of the box or wide and put balls into the box and then rely on guys like Cesar Montes and Nico Sanchez, who are really good in the air, to win the balls, uh, clear the ball and you know mean there's no problem whatsoever. Sebastian Vegas isn't a defender who is particularly great in the air, so I don't think he is a perfect fit for them as a centre-back. However, as a left-back, I think he is. And there is a strong argument that they need a left back after Vangioni left. Obviously, Gallardo can play there, but we've seen Gallardo play uh, as a winger a lot too. And I think he works as a winger in Mohamed's team with his his pace and power on, on the counter. He offers good balance on the left side to Pabon on the right. And Vegas can play this more defensive left back role that Vangioni played, I think, very, very well. He's a defender that is very comfortable on the ball, um, talented. He can bring the ball out from the back well, which obviously helps him playing left back. From a defensive standpoint, he's someone who I think excelled when Guede played with a higher defensive line uh, at Morelia, and we saw his recovery skills really impress. He was 
very good at getting back and dealing with balls going over the Morelia defence, which happened very often. His he showed his pace. He showed his ability to make last-ditch tackles. He's actually ranked second in 2019-21 slide tackles per 90 minutes. So that's something that uh, is a real ability of his and um, perhaps something that will be more useful in Monterrey's system as a fullback rather than as a centre-back. So, yeah, overall, I think he probably will play left-back, to be honest, Um you know, he's, he has played there a lot in the past. And, uh, yeah, if he does, I think he could do very, very well for them. This concludes Episode 7 of another football podcast series, Keeping Up with Liga Mekis. This episode was everything Monterrey. Uh, for more Monterrey content in English, you can follow Rayados90, my friends um, Eddie Razo and Patrick Meehan, definitely running that account, giving you everything that you need to know about Monterrey in English. Really, really cool guys. Enjoy uh, their content, and they're always um, putting podcasts out there regarding Monterrey and uh, have a lot of communication with uh, a lot of people in Monterrey um, with the team. So definitely follow them on Twitter. And Tom, if their people aren't following you, where can they follow you at? It's at TomH underscore 36. And you can follow me at Caritorres underscore seven. Hope you guys enjoy this episode of Monterrey. Uh, we will let you guys know. Maybe we're on a run a poll or we'll just decide what team we're going to do next. Uh, Liga Mekis is just around the corner. The countdown pretty much begins. So hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Let us know what you think. Uh, like it, retweet it, share it. You know, give us a thumbs up, whatever you guys want. Um, let's just let us know. Uh, so yes, thank you all for listening and we'll see you in another episode of another football podcast.